Welcome to episode 9 of GeoCities, the interview podcast. This was an interview conducted with Ethan J. Sachs, who many of you know as the comic writer of the comic series Bounty Hunters. Without further ado, I really do hope you enjoyed this interview. Thank you. Alright, welcome to episode... Oh jeez, I think it's 8 of the podcast. It's so sporadic sometimes, but... Say my guest is Ethan Sachs, so I'm sure a lot of Star Wars fans need no introduction to because Bounty Hunters, that's been a comic book on the rise this past year, I'd say. Uh, how are you doing today, Ethan? I'm doing okay. You know, busy, which is good, I guess. Yeah. Always good for a freelancer, you know. That's true, especially in this industry in this day and age. So I'll just dive right in. The first question I have is from a person named Ethan in New York. How dare you? <laughs> Um, I don't think that came from me. I think that was uh, channeling uh, all of Valance Nation. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I I feel like that's in reference to the trauma that I put all the characters through. Uh, so I totally get it. Um, but uh, that's like sort of part of the fun, hopefully. Yeah, it's like you're invoking your inner higher public right there. Just like you create all these interesting characters and then you put them through massive amounts of trauma and pain and then we get love and then there's pain and it's like okay there's just this balance but that's what makes a good book i have a much uh lower death toll (laughs) than the high republic so (laughs) that is true ethan when are you gonna start killing off all these characters (laughs) uh but yeah like you i just i love the high republic and um i know it's off topic but I was telling Charles uh, and uh, and uh, Daniel and and basically everybody associated with that that the amazing feat that they managed is, you know, um, a year and change ago you did not know any of these characters, right? And then now you love them, and and to sort of create new characters and and as a reader for readers who then feel like they've known them their whole lives, it's it's a pretty good feat of engineering sorry for all the background noise I, no I no no it's, it's so fine it but as good as it gets yeah and you are right like the high republic it was sort of insane how it happened like an art book for a just strictly novel and comic yeah. sort of series and such it's like that's insane that's not something you really would have expected ever. yeah and and you know it's completely new and original and separate from the movies you know obviously with the exception of yoda yeah. The movies that were the gateway for most people into the franchise and so just to just find this new and rich vein uh, of um you know imagination uh is just amazing yeah it, i mean it is, I, yeah. I could gush about about the, <laughs> the whole interview <laughs> just yeah i think we all could you know big fans of it but you got your start in news right when you yep. started so how did you get into comics and such, start writing comics and make that switch from news to comics? Well, funnily enough, there's a Star Wars connection there. Um, I had for 20 years worked at the New York Daily News and towards the, you know, the second, the back half of it, for sure, I was uh, on the geek beat, uh, say that in quotes, because that's what an editor called it. And that was everything from comics to Star Wars, to Game of Thrones, to Walking Dead, to just all the stuff that I already loved. Um, you know, and got to interview creators and actors and directors and everything. And um, over the years, uh, over 20 years of covering comic books, I had made friends in the industry. And one of one of whom, uh, the person I really owe most of my start to is Joe Quesada, former editor-in-chief uh, at Marvel, and at that time, chief creative officer, right? So May 2016, for me, the fourth be with you, that, that, hol- that all-important holiday, um, I interviewed Paul Blake, the actor who played uh, Greedo, and was still alive. He died shortly after the interview, I think, or a few months. Um, but I would, he was just a very funny guy. And one question that came up was who shot first, right? And he had, he had a whole like comedic routine of, um, you know, like basically like Greedo's eyes being myopic. And, uh, you can see Greedo behind me as one of, one of the figures yeah. there you know, and, and basically should have been a flower ranger instead of a bounty hunter and all, all this kind of stuff. But then he said, it says, it's said in the script, I remember this very well, Han shoots alien. So 
uh, that got me thinking. Uh, I'm a big fan of movies and uh, Kurosawa, who was one of the inspirations that George Lucas had. But one of his movies, which is based on a famous Japanese novel, is called Rashomon. And for those of you who haven't seen Rashomon, uh, please do. But besides that, the, the whole conceit is there's a murder in feudal Japan and four different accounts, including the ghost. And each of the accounts are wildly different, right? Like, so you have to kind of decide who you believe, I guess, or how much of any of them are true. And so I had that idea after that interview just popped in my mind. I would love to do a story about the murder investigation into the death of Greedo uh, with a similar structure to Rashomon, right? Like a little tribute to Rashomon. So I just couldn't get rid of the idea. And I, I went to a Mets game with, with Joe Casada. And I said, hey, would you mind if I sent you a spec script, you know, to, you can throw it away, like on the off chance that it'd be something of interest to Marvel. Uh, I wouldn't take any money because like at that time I was covering Marvel. So like I would donate it to charity or something, but, um, and uh, he said, sure, but he obviously wasn't very enthusiastic. So uh, I ended up like, I'd never written a comic before, but I, I had read so many scripts uh, that I kind of reverse engineered the ones that I liked, like the structure, the pacing, <coughs> excuse me. And I uh, contacted Lucasfilm. I knew uh, the publicist there uh, very well. Um, Lynn Hale has since retired because I I covered movies and such. And um, <coughs> excuse me, just getting over a cold. Oh. So uh, she put me in touch with um, Story Group. And they said, like, I asked, like, what I could and couldn't do. And so they said, basically, you know, definitively in canon, um, Greedo shoots first. Like, and, you know, I'm old enough that I saw it in the theater the first time as a four-year-old. And I'm pretty sure it did not happen that way. But I went along with him. Um, and there were other things. Like, I came up with uh, Kitster uh, as the as the homicide cop, basically. Because, you know, Moss Eisley, who's going to investigate a murder, right? Like, there'd have to be a direct connection. And... And I knew from the deleted scenes of Phantom Menace that Anakin, Baby Greedo, uh, Kitster, like they all ran together, you know, at that at that era. So um, long story short, I send it in. I hear nothing for four months. So I think, okay, wow, it was especially that. It's like uh, just kind of disappeared. Then on September 7th, 2016, um, I was visiting my in-laws in Japan. We came, we landed, the plane landed, and I turn on my phone. And it was the email that changed my life. And uh, Joe, the subject line was something like F Greedo. Um, and the gist of it was F Greedo, you can actually write comics. And I think you could do this for a living. And like coincidentally, I come back to work and they announced shortly thereafter, they announced that there are uh, buyouts, right? So whoever wants to take a buyout, I've been there 20 years, like my entire adult life. Uh, so it was like seven months pay. So it kind of aligned and, uh, long story short, like that was, they never ended up publishing the story, but, uh, it led me to, um, it led me to my first, like Axel Alonso was the editor-in-chief at the time, brought me in, ultimately led to Old Man Hawkeye, which was like my first major comic hit and, uh, and ultimately to Star Wars. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever read the book Fire and Blood by George R. R. Martin, but uh, the that kind of the Japanese movie about which one's the true story. There's a part in Fire and Blood where it's like you have three different people telling the story of a war, mm -hmm. and it's like okay, which person's right, which person's wrong. Yeah. But in the end, really, no one's right. It's like some yeah. of part of what one person says is right, part of what what another person says is right. It's like you just gotta make the determination for yourself what's right and what's wrong. But it. That's an yeah, interesting exactly. story that you, how you made your way into comics and such, because I don't think that's an often, well, I shouldn't say that because no. Charles Soule was a lawyer before he became a comic writer. True, but he, uh, he toiled for a long time making, you know, in the independent thing to sort of, yeah. you know, he put in a lot of work and I don't want to say that I didn't because obviously 20 years. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of work. It wasn't, you know, and I, I covered comics. So like I was able to, cause I think part of it is like, when you get that chance, that rare chance, like you, they're not going to spend jump. a lot of time teaching you, you know what I mean? So like, however you get to that stage, it's got to happen sort of off panel, if you will, you know what I mean? Like they're, yeah. Um, so it's, it's a tough business to crack. So I, I am lucky.
yeah it is a tough business to get into it's not like literary uh things where it's like oh you have all these literary agents and you can do submissions it's still a tough business but it's not like comics is a lot more reliant on connections and such uh somewhat i mean it also like frankly is like a lot of luck timing um you know and and, and writing novels isn't easy either like you have to get a literary <laughs> they're you know the, there are more people who want to publish books than books published so unless you're self-publishing it's tough it's all tough <laughs> it's but it's worth trying yeah. yeah of course i don't want yeah. to discourage anyone listening like it is worth trying it is worth doing people break in all the time from many different ways so you know it it requires some perseverance so exploding speaking of exploding in popularity bounty hunters has really well exploded in popularity this last year what's it been like seeing you have your own sort of fandom now the balanced nation i mean i think i think the the gift for me um it starts with the editors like mark uh, panicia and like the whole first it was Thomas Roman and then Danny Kazam and like Michael Basso, like all these editors, it's such a leap of faith to assign somebody who was fairly new in the business, like, you know, a couple of years experience and ongoing, right? Like that's, so like a lot of bounty hunters, like we planted seeds in the beginning and to get to pay off like two years later is, it's incredible. Like it's such a gift. So so that like it starts with them, but also the fans. Like I never thought I would be lucky enough to to have readers as passionate as like Valent as the people in Valent, you know, the hashtag Valence Nation who care about these weirdo characters, some of which I, you know, co-created with uh, Paolo Villanelli, uh, who's a gifted artist. And that's the other thing. I have like the perfect artist assigned to this. So it, it's more on him than me, I think that it's been as well received just because he's so good he's so good you see a lot of comics where the art doesn't necessarily match with the script but with like bounty hunters it like it matches it's like yin and yang it matches uh, so well i credit a lot to charles uh soul because i read a script like very, i think it was um war of the bounty hunters alpha right the very first war of the bounty hunters the the one where boba fett is in the the arena and I read, that was the first of his scripts that I actually read, like, in advance, or got to read in advance. And uh, it was very early on in, in our combined Star Wars run. And uh, he had this, like, this big action scene, <clears throat> and there were minimal instructions to the, uh, to the artist, right? He was like, this is where it needs to end up, but, like, I trust you to, you know, execute this. And, and it really was, like, this collaboration, you know, it wasn't just like, here's a script, the artist does whatever the writer says. And I really learned from that because before that I was doing a lot of like trying to figure out how an action scene would look, you know, and uh, putting very like detailed instructions in. And then I, you know, from there I realized, well, wait a minute, like the artist is the visual superstar, right? Like they, they see everything in a cinematic way. And so like, I want to, and like Paolo, I think he's one of the best in the business, if not the best in the business at, making the action feel like kinetic like you can almost it's almost like three-dimensional it's it's like moving you know on the page like his 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 energy is just amazing and so it's like why am i telling him how to do an action scene you know what i mean so i started kind of giving him more space and also no pun intended on the space thing um but also like hey Paolo, like what would you what would you like to draw? You know what I mean? And I'll work it in. So like, okay, well, balance flying an X-Wing or, you know, more Vader or something like that. And so I tried to work that in. And I think like, I obviously I'm biased, but I think the results are just amazing. So we just, we, I think we have pretty good, you know, and also like I, I Skype him from time to time and I, I tell him like, you know, what we have in store for balance, that poor soul. And, you know, he's like, oh my God, you know, Valence Nation's going to kill you. And I said, kill us. We're a team, you know, so. They come for you more often than they do him. <laughs> well, I think they can tell that I'm I'm probably the, the more sadistic one when it comes to the characters. Yeah, this is going to be the last issue of Bounty Hunters. is just going to be you killing Valence and everyone's just going to cry at the end of it. I'm going to throw Paolo under the bus, though. I don't think I've said this before, but um, he is responsible for the death of the Nexu. 
<laughs> really? Yes. It, well, I, I, I kind of was leaning towards there being some kind of death <clears throat> or some kind of traumatic event in 26. And um, he was just like, this Nexo is a problem to draw because he's like always, in, or she's always in this like contained cabin, whatever room. And it's just really hard for scale. And it's just, it's such a pain for him to draw. And like, if he's on a tight deadline, it really is getting in his way. So part of the reason that poor Furball died, what I mean, there was story reasons as well. Like it's a major part of both Losha's and uh, Vukora's arc, but also it was a major part of Paolo's arc. <laughs> so that, they're going to the kill him when this comes out. This not comes torturing out. him to have to draw uh, the, the giant, you know, next to in every scene. Yeah, poor Paolo when this comes out, he's going to be crucified a bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, he knows. He knows what to expect of me. But uh, you mentioned Vader. So what's it like writing Vader? Because Vader is, I think, a very tough character to write. I'll be perfectly honest. I think there have been lots of writers who've written Vader and then not written Vader well. Like someone who comes to mind is Vera Strange. She wrote a story for in the this year's Disney book anthology, and she wrote him so well. Like I, that was one of the big parts of my reviews where it's like, this is the perfect Vader. This is movie Vader right here. Yeah, Vader, Vader is very tough for me to write, but, you know, in, in the case of when I write him, uh, he's a supporting character, so it's a little easier for me, but I, like, uh, helmet, helmet, a tip of the helmet to, uh, to Greg, um, because to have your main character be somebody who does not do much external dialogue, you know, you're not, he's, not the type of person who's going to tell you what he's feeling or what he's thinking. And then Greg was, has been masterful, like things like, like Vader looking and there'll be a, like a panel that's clearly a flashback and remembering Padme or something. So, you know, he's feeling this, but it's not like he's showing nothing outwardly. You know what I mean? So you're getting a quick glimpse in Vader's head. So I thought that was genius. Um, you know, I, I, I write Vader, um, kind of similar to the way I wrote Boba Fett in the first arc for different reasons as almost like this force of nature that you withstand if you're in the same room. Um, you know, there was one beat I played for comedy in the last issue with where, you know, Vader fixes Valance's collar. That was hilarious. I was like, Valance, um, what are you doing here, man? Well, Valance is somebody who it just gets in his own way all the time. Like, he's just not somebody who, like, he'll never... Oh, sorry. It's my cat attacking something. I don't know. Um, one of my cats. Oh, sorry. Uh, attacking the auto feeder that we just put out. <laughs> so, sorry about the background noise. That's fine. Um, yeah, this is going to be a little bit of a zoo. I apologize in advance. This is going to be like, you're going to have the feeling of being in the cantina in Moss Eisley where it's just chaos. You know? Chaos all around. All the time. I mean, I'm not even hearing a lot of the background audio, so I think it's yeah, fine. Well, it's, <laughs> I can hear it, unfortunately, unfortunately. So, yeah, so um, uh, yeah, with, with Vader, you know, it's uh, just something to be survived. He's not not going to get flustered easily. Although I, I wrote him very differently in 31, so I'll be interested to see how that lands uh, cryptically. That's like three months. When does 31 come out, actually? I'm not sure. Uh, well, 29 comes out in like 30 days or so. So, yeah. you know, much, probably. There, might be a, there might be a skip month. A lot depends on like supply issues and such. So gotta love what COVID's done to the comic supply chain. And you just never know yeah, what's going mean, to come out every week. It is what it is. Uh, you know, fortunately, like we were very fortunate that this book continued through the pandemic. You know, there were books that yeah. unfortunately didn't, you know, uh, like everything else, comics was disrupted um so yeah uh but yeah vader vader is uh i if you were to ask paolo i'm pretty sure that would be his favorite character yeah, certainly not furball so vader ranks higher than furball on paolo's list yeah honestly i'm not entirely sure this is accurate but isn't bounty hunters the longest running star wars ongoing right now or is that the actual main series i'm not sure no, so we're all the same uh yeah. froze a couple of uh issues behind but we're all going to be the same at some point. <laughs> eventually uh i mean and that was the biggest you know and i credit cb and um mark and, and everyone who had a hand in that decision making and lucasfilm as well like the best part of this era in star wars comics now is everything is in the same timeline 
or the same time period. So we can connect and have characters interact and all these things, you know, Valance was invader for a few months and, you know, uh, characters from Dr. Afra are in star Wars and vice versa. And, and it's just like, it's just amazing. Um, because we literally meet, you know, remotely, but we meet once a week, share ideas, work together. And you couldn't really do that if it was one comic is set in the prequels, one comic is set in the sequels, one comic is set in the original trilogy. Having them all together, um, I think it just makes it cooler for the reader too. You know, like each puzzle piece matters. So Yeah, I definitely love it, especially something I think a lot of people love with the higher public. It can be a blessing and a burden though, I should say, because some people can't necessarily afford to get everything. But if you can afford to get everything and you do get everything it's nice to see something the higher public adventures and that ties into the ya or the adult book the connectivity yeah. makes you feel like you're more involved in the story and you get a more enriching experience from it i feel like. i agree and comics have always done that like you know uh the main marvel line right like there's if there's an event it ties in with the avengers and sometimes with the x yeah. like that uh, and i know that can be hard for some readers to you know, keep up financially or whatever. I'm totally aware of that. Um, you know, uh, however, sometimes it can be like a cool thing to just sort of have that connectivity and feel like it's part of a greater whole. And like all of Star Wars is actually like that. It's the only franchise where the TV series connects to the books, connects to the theme park, connects to the video games, connects to the, you know, movies, connects to the comics. So it's like, it's all part of, I always say it's like, they're all threads in this big tapestry. And so like, you don't necessarily need to see the entire tapestry, but it's cool to know that it's all connected, you know? Yeah. I think I actually only started out reading Afro at first and I totally love that story without reading anything else, you know? So you can definitely read you one can. thing and just get enjoyment from that. Yeah. It, it doesn't reduce the enjoyment for Afra. Uh, it only know, enriches it. By yeah, reading the other stuff. yeah, it doesn't take anything away to know that these other things are there, even if you don't read them. No. Um, you know, and then if you can read them, that it hopefully gives you like an even better experience. You know. Uh, so you mentioned Furball was the hardest character for Paolo to draw. What's the easiest and hardest characters for you to write? It's an interesting question. I mean, Vader is definitely up there for hardest, uh, just from a the one issue that I, the couple of issues that I wrote Chewbacca over the years, it was just hard from a dialogue standpoint. I did so much as to like previous characters. Um, you know, I think I have a soft spot in my heart for, for Tonga and for Valance for different reasons. You know, Tonga is Paolo and my baby. Um, I love who she is as a person. Like I love that. I love the the speed at which she thinks in battle. And I also love that she's kind, but she isn't a pushover. Like there's so much I love about her. Um, I also, but Valance, I relate to a lot because he's just somebody who has lost so much and like put himself back together physically. And I've said this before, but like is trying to repair himself emotionally. Like it's just such a theme in this book is, um, you know, overcoming trauma and trying to like, you know, working on yourself kind of thing. And, and that's personal for me. So like, I love, uh, I love that. Uh, he just keeps trying almost never hundred percent as successfully or as efficiently as he could. Uh, but you know, poor choice of words, but you know, his heart is in the right place. Sorry. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, but, uh, you know, consider yourself spirit. When I had Bob Quinn on here, I made him rank. Like I did a March Madness tournament of making him rank all of the characters in that in a Knights of X. So and he was yeah. like, "Oh, why are you making me do this, man?" I'm trying to think like who was the hardest. I mean, also talking about Boba Fett. Boba Fett was the hardest for that first arc because we could barely use him, so we had to be really efficient in how we used him, and we didn't really know 100 why we couldn't use him. But I think they were gearing up some you know for for his return in the mandalorian yeah. so we had to be very careful what we could and couldn't do you know and so like that was a little tricky because he was such a major character in that arc but you it's almost like the shark in jaws you 
you barely see him for much of that arc, you know, and then, then oh, yeah, that's the whole movie. movie. Then we, we teed up that last issue. Um, so I think like, you know, but all my answers are like mainly like the, the story the, characters more so stuff less like getting in their head. I'm, I, I, I don't know. I don't off the top of my head. I can't think of a character that was that like, but you know, Vader, I would be, if I had, if I had to write Vader over a long period of time, I, I think I would struggle most with him. Yeah. What's the character you'd say surprised you the most as you've written them? Den- Dengar and Vukora for two different reasons. Dengar, because I, I loathe that character going in. Um, and I originally wanted that role to be played by Hondo, but there was some reason it didn't fit. I think it was just like where Hondo is at that point in time. And the, so um, I ended up getting Dengar as like my backup plan is to be this like, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Midnight Run, but I wanted Midnight Run as this sort of action comedy from the 80s with Robert De Niro as a tough guy and he's like a bounty hunter and he's dr- dragging along this kind of neurotic accountant um, across country uh, played by Charles Grodin. And um, that was very much an inspirational for the Dengar-Valance relationship. Like Valance was the the um, Robert De Niro character. It's like having to put up with this whiny, like untrustworthy, you know, partner kind of thing. Um, and so it ended up, I ended up liking Dengar a lot more as a character, not as a person, as a character, uh, by the end of it, like, just so, so I kind of felt like, okay, I I can have fun with this character now. Whereas when I started, it felt like, oh, it's like such a, such a, such a compromise, you know? (laughs) Um, and Vukora, I credit Alyssa Wong with this. Because when I first wrote Vakora into the first arc, honestly, she was just like a bit player that was a means to an end. Like I was not thinking of her arc long term. And then when Alyssa wrote uh, Vakora into like, I think the second arc of Afra, they did such a great job of making this character not just like, a straight villain but like a fun multi-dimensional and so then I kind of started thinking of all the cool things that I could do with her you know so I credit like that's one of the great things about these characters sort of even the ones you create don't really belong to you like they're part of this larger thing and so you know you're handing them off and they're coming back and all this kind of stuff so I think I credit Alyssa with because Vakara has changed the most and also in coming issues has like, I think, a pretty cool arc. Um, so I uh, <clears throat> but that's evolved over time as I've sort of felt like I've gotten to know her more, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's like it it's like when you do a make a sculpture, there's like a block of marble. Right. And you visualize what the sculptor sculpture is, but then when you're chipping away, maybe it takes a different form. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you learn more about the characters as not only the story progresses, but as the characters progress within the story. Yes. Yeah, and sometimes you like I don't want to say lose control of the character, but they they do take a life of their own. Make sense in the moment that change whatever you thought of like a year ago. You know what I mean? Yeah, the best characters are the characters, you know, that take that life of their own where it's like, okay, you've sort of lost control over them, yeah. but that's okay because the story's taking a natural turn and the characters are just more natural themselves. Exactly. But, uh, so, okay, so this is a question I don't think you can answer, but I know Sarah asked this question. I know Wesley, who also won Star Wars Queer's Watch, Queer Watch, yeah ask this question is Bukora trans or can you tell us if she's trans I'm gonna have like a long-winded answer uh the bottom line is going to be that I couldn't answer that either way I know what I would like that answer to be um I think that would dovetail with what other people like that answer to be I think there are also larger questions that go beyond an individual character individual story so for example you know I'm believe with all my heart that trans rights are under attack um bigotry is 
it's like we just live in some really Shit cool times world. yes uh, i'll say cruel <laughs> i'll say more pg um and i think representation is very very important to that end it's especially important when you're representing marginalized people where that representation can have consequences beyond the story so like what i mean by that is look at silence of the lambs right like I don't know if you've seen that movie, but Silence of the Lambs was the 1991 Oscar winning. It's a fantastically well-made um, psychological thriller, serial killer story. The serial killer is sort of a caricature of a trans person. And like the implication being that that's part of the like psychosis, right? So like, that's not really positive representation. You know what I mean? And like, I don't think that movie could have been made like that now hopefully, or, you know, so like the question is, is a character, maybe is a villain, or maybe there's a cop, like, is that the right, especially if there isn't a ton of representation right now, you know what I mean? There's like, or should that be a character that, like, should you learn more about that backstory before you can go there? You know what I mean? Like maybe there's yeah. a more, and then the other part of that too is like, who's telling that story? Like I'm very conscious that I'm a cis white male person. And like the last thing I would ever want to do is stumble like Godzilla and cause more damage because I handled something poorly, you know, like to me and to Paolo, who's done a great job of like, you know, making characters that, you know, their representation is part of who they are, but it also isn't token, you know what I mean? And so I want a lot more representation in Bounty Hunters. I also want to do it well. And so when it happens, I want it to be positive and not in any way, shape or form able to be twisted or something in a negative way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if that's answering a question, but that's- Well, I appreciate I the elaboration of thought, especially because, you know, the Star Wars fan base, there is a big toxic and th this goes beyond the star wars fan base but if, if say it were to come out publicly that she would be trans that the, it'd probably be vilified by you know this fandom menace as it's called and, and whatnot because that's just what they do when they see representation of any sort they're like oh my gosh don't make any excuse to make it be like this person did a bad thing when just trying to hide their hatred yeah i mean i think it Unfortunately, we're still at the stage where any such thing like that has to be handled perfectly because any lapse in how that's handled creates more potential for harm. And that, I'm not trying to cop out like on an answer. I think about this stuff all the time because yeah. I've, you know, I've made mistakes over the course of writing inadvertently, you know, in uh, issue four, like how I handled the, the sort of fake out death with Tonga as an example. Now I probably would have handled that a little like more subtly, you know, instead of like that evocative image um, of her getting shot, like maybe it would have been in silhouette and maybe I would have brought her back an issue earlier. So it was clear. So that's the kind of thing where I did like, because I knew where the story was going, I didn't think about it as a potential, but I think in that month or two months or whatever, people were hurt, you know what I mean? And I, that would be my last intention. Like I know I play, I know I torture these characters a bit, but I don't want to hurt them, if that makes any sense. Um, and so, you know, that's the kind of thing where uh, I think is very, very important to not, not just have the representation, but have the right representation and have it done in a way that empowers and doesn't hurt. Yeah. So right. I think that's a great answer, to be honest, because like, I think there's something... There's an between us wanting it and then, okay, how other people are going to take it when it actually happens. Because I think we all want a trans character in Star Wars. That's something multiple authors have yeah. talked about and tons of fans have talked about. But as you said, if it's not done perfectly, then it'll, it just will cause some issues with the, well, I don't want to say issues. It, I suppose it's- You want to cause more damage than you, you like, you want it to be, a special thing exactly a special uh you know feeling like i one thing i love about star wars 
and especially now like it was different you know and again like the 1977 movie came out in a different time but like three years later when Lando Carusian became a major character that was a big deal at the time you know and very slowly probably in the historical terms there's been more and more representation <clears throat> you have you know same-sex characters or same-sex um relationships that you wouldn't have seen in 1977 and you could say well there's not enough of it or there should be more um it, it's happening too slowly and i totally get that kind of uh feeling i just feel like the arc of the the momentum is going the right way maybe not as fast as as it should or ideally would you know what i mean um but what i love about this franchise is they that sense of social justice i feel is baked in i feel it's baked yeah. in i don't feel i don't feel this is the same star wars that the most toxic very small percentage of the fan base thinks it is like i think it's you know something much more uh universal and accepting and than what they see and it's a small percentage. Don't ever think it's it's more than a small percentage. The haters. I think that something that I love about the High Republic is that motto phrase, we're all the Republic. That perfectly encapsulates Star Wars. Star Wars is for everyone. It doesn't matter your sexuality or whether you're a he or they or non-binary, they or a she. Star Wars is for everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. It's for you. Yeah. And, and part of that is like you want to see characters that speak to you whatever your, you know, background or wherever you're coming from. Um, like, I feel like that's an important part of it, you know? You, you've seen that, I think, in more and more in pop culture. Again, it's yeah. long overdue. Uh, you know, it's it's something that, um, you know, it's sad that in this day and age, in 2022, there are adult males who are whining about a black little mermaid or you know what i mean like um you know it's like it's an insincere thing too it's just like they 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 would not see the little mermaid if they you know if it cast a uh a white actress they're just it's performing. it doesn't matter if it was the same movie that was 1993 just you know live action instead of animated that you uh, still would not see it now movie. they now they just want to complain about it because oh my gosh it's not perfect it's not like the same thing the disney's gone woke on this it's like yeah. they just like to complain for the sake of complaining i i just will never understand that term woke as a pejorative it's like is the alternative being asleep is like that what you're like i don't just as a word like as, as a as uh, it a doesn't smoke, make really like yeah it's to me it's like social justice warrior is like why does that that sounds cool to me i'd like to be like a social what's the justice opposite warrior. of social like, justice you're saying the yeah, status quo like, is social I, injustice right now yeah like i grew up on on superhero books like, that sounds pretty awesome you know i would love to be a social justice warrior like that's not yeah, a point. yeah so, i mean it's a I went off about it, but. no it's fine especially when you would as you said what you the opposite is like social injustice asleep it's like i'd rather be woke and i yeah just the terminology man. like i just don't get but whatever it's sterile. nowadays in life nothing makes sense or very few things make sense but uh we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll be right back we are back now with Ethan Sachs. Okay, so just jumping right back into the questions, unless you have anything more to say about it. No, I think I answered like 10 minutes on that one question. No, that, that, but it's good, because it's, especially it's a bit of an issue with complexity to it. So I'm glad that we were able to yeah. talk about that. But uh, I also, there... like, one thing to keep in mind with all these things is, you know, I think when you're reading a comic or a book or you see a movie, you think of these characters as static, like their background is there and they're, so like there's an answer yes or no, but that is a, like there could be an evolving backstory depending on who's telling it, depending on all these things or depending on how we learn it, you know. So, you know, the the marble, the block of marble analogy, like Vicara in particular, her shape is not fully chiseled out yet. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I, I, I know where I want it to go. Let's ho hope I can tell that. Yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed, one day gets to the place I think where we all want it to be. But uh, 
Yeah, that was a great answer to a question I think a lot of people wanted an answer to. But uh, so just going down the list. So this, I don't know if this is a bit of a gaff question, but I'm just going to ask it. This one's from Dan Star Wars Celebration. What's your favorite issue of Star Wars 1977, if you have one? You know, the, the thing is, I read I read the series when it first came out as a four or five-year-old, six-year-old. The first, you know, X number of issues, probably through maybe 1982, 1983. But I didn't really revisit it until I started writing. Um, I do remember being very confused reading the uh, the first few issues, which were essentially supposed to be an adaptation, but were actually kind of a little different in look and feel because I probably was working off an earlier version of the script, I'm guessing. So that confused me greatly. Um, I did like issue 29, which I'm sure will scare some people. Because uh, yeah, Valance... You've been hyping that one up a bit. Yes. Issue 29. Yes. I kind of wish 31... Like I had written Bounty Hunters in such a way that 31 could have fallen on 20, uh, issue 29. But anyway. Oh, all right. That's all right. <laughs> so, all right. This is my last Bounty Hunters question, unless we uh, somehow work our way back to this. Then I'll talk about Midnight Suns and then just sure. comics in general. But uh, so Balance has been on quite the journey. And I think there's an interesting question because you mentioned like static backstory and evolving backstory and such. What's it? been like plotting all that out and then seeing it evolve um a lot believe it or not a lot has transpired along the lines of the way i wanted it to from the beginning uh some you know there's new stuff that's coming that that certainly changed but between issues one and 31 i think um surprisingly some stuff that we we wanted to get in you know the heart and things like that uh made it made it through uh the whole thing with valance is uh, for me like originally it was going to be more of it like when i was pitched the chance to write this it was like we want valance to be the main character want him to be like you know kind of is more of like an action star you know like you could picture sylvester stallone or somebody playing him in in the 1980s you know and i didn't really love that um what interested me is the the ptsd right like this He's been, he's not just like everything he believed in turned out to be a lie, you know, with as far as the empire goes, that's what he always wanted to be. Turns out that they weren't what he thought he was, you know, he's lost the love of his life. He's, you know, doesn't really, and he's trying to figure out his way. And along the way, he loses a lot of sort of what he thinks makes him who he is. You know, that hard thing was a big deal because like when you don't have, a human heart like are you human you know and he struggles with this and so i know it's cruel <laughs> i know i know and it gets a little crueler before it gets better but i just what i i like i said i, I kind of feel like i hope that this whole series will eventually end up on a happy note uh but before that it's going to be dark in places because like again like to overcome trauma you have to have trauma to overcome so from a from a storytelling point of view yeah that's true but it's like it's got to be a bit insane to see like how everyone sort of identified with balance like all the fan yeah. art and stuff i know bell and hayden and shout out to all the other people who are favorite balance nation fans but like she does a lot of art i know bell yeah. balance i'm just like fantastic oh, that's artist. so good yeah it is fantastic, God, fantastic artist yeah but it's it's cool though i'm sure from your point of view to be like holy shit people are like yeah. drawing characters that i'm taught like writing about and falling in love with them and such and identify yeah, with them again and i feel the same way about like tonga and losha and and uh Fukar to some extent like people are gravitating towards them and even like zuckus uh who's a fun for long i, 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 love I was long. surprised by the love for zuckus um but you know i tried to write them all as flawed characters who are trying but they're trying you know and i feel like we all can relate to that you know none of us are these perfect 80s action stars that can just sort of power their way through anything like i think we all you know have that these struggles and i think there's something inspiring about these this collection of weirdos that uh somehow persevere through some really hard stuff uh but keep trying you know and i i like i love them I, I, even though i treat them awfully 
I do love them. Yeah, you poor know. Bosk. I just need to mention Bosk because no, we haven't talked about him at all. I'm just like, we didn't no, but the thing about Bosk is, I wanted, I wanted one character. It wasn't a droid like for LOM, but I wanted one character who's so well adjusted that just like nothing really changes them who they are. And like Bosk is like the control group for everyone else. Like Bosk is always Bosk, and I like what I, I like that about him because <laughs> just doesn't doesn't second guess himself. Doesn't like, you know doesn't struggle with any major you know doubts or anything like that it's just Bosk is Bosk so I kind of wanted one character like that uh and so for me that was Bosk even Tasso Leach like kind of struggles here and there uh you know and probably isn't as aware self-aware but like um there's you know Bosk is the only one that I think has that sort of perfect uh quote-unquote perfect self-esteem or whatever yeah I actually do have one question that I didn't remember about. So what's your favorite thing about Tonga and Locha's relationship? My favorite thing is I wanted to show a relation because like the thing is usually in fiction um, because it's more dramatic and fun. You know, you have romantic triangles and breakups and like relationship drama. And I just wanted there to be a stable relationship where they both are there for each other. And even when things are, when there are, obstacles or like traumatic events or things like that there there's no doubt that either one has that the other has their back and i just wanted just that one stable relationship in this series well i could you could say two because possibly four lom and zuckus um, that's pretty stable i'd say yeah well i kind of i kind of re- write them as if they're like burton ernie with the giant blaster rifles you know like like there's this kind of Burton Ernie relationship between them. Um, Maybe an old married couple too. Yeah, exactly. Like just this, this weird. Uh, like they're not, they're not personality wise. They don't sort of match up, but somehow they're they stronger as a pair than they are separate. So yeah, but but as far as relationships go, I just wanted one stable relationship in this series, and so yeah, it, it's them. Like, you know, I don't ever want it to be a question like, do they care about each other? Like, that's just not, did they fall out of love or did they, um, you know, does one have ulterior motives? Like whatever tensions they have is external. It's not internal, if that makes sense. No, yeah, that does. And also yay for more Star Wars queer representation. I think that's always something that we all get very happy about. So uh, moving on to Midnight Suns, that's an... I'd say an interesting reboot. How did that come along? So, uh, you know, I think timing-wise, it's tied to the uh, to the awesome upcoming video game. Um, I got delayed, unfortunately. <laughs> well, um, at the same time, uh, I do think it is something that, uh, you know, Marvel's wanted to do because uh, Midnight Suns, you know, from the 90s, the original incarnation, is something that's had like a cult following, uh, appropriate turn of phrase for a... Uh, a cult super team um but i think like having a more balanced lineup you know uh kind of is a fun way to get back into it um and for me so i got to write uh, to work again with uh thomas who uh, my editor on midnight suns was was a was a, in the star wars office before and it was kind of cool because it's like you know some of the characters kind of knew would be in there because there's a tie-in even though it's not directly connected to the video game I think you know it makes sense that some of the characters overlap uh but I could also basically I've always loved that sort of the quote-unquote like dark mystical corners of the Marvel universe and I've always like so I was like okay well if I get this one chance to to write in that world what would I like to do so there's like cameos and places and things like that that I get to uh get to sort of play with so it's doom. totally yeah that doom thing coming in at the end of the first issue that i know yeah. he's on the cover for the second issue but that still sort of shocked me <laughs> it just came through and that was great but also i love how kushala is in this i love kushala and i think she's always a very underutilized character which is a real shame because how many times can you say there's a native american ghost mm. rider or a demon rider yeah. it's like she's this amazing character and there have been a few one shots and been part of miniseries and stuff that go on to her backstory and such. I'm just like, 
give me a full run of her eventually, please. I, you know, I would love to see a solo book. Uh, I would not be the person to write it, obviously, uh, to do it justice. But yeah. uh, I think that would be great. She's a very nuanced character. Part of the problem always, you know, I, I feel like I could not have tackled this book if I didn't do Bounty Hunters first, because writing an ensemble is very tricky. Like you don't have as much time to really go into each individual character. So you have to be like really efficient like that way it's like a carnival trick balancing all the plates while you're wheeling yes. in a unicycle i like to think of it as like a really awesome jam band and with great musicians and any one of those musicians like you would pay a lot of money to just see them jam the whole time by themselves but like they have to be a cohesive tune and like but you also need the solos you also need like okay here's a 15 second guitar solo and here's like the drum solo and here's because they're so good. They need that. You know, like you need that without losing the tune, but you can't lose, you know, you can't lose that overall cohesiveness of the tune. So I know that that analogy has gone completely amok, uh, but you know, it's the same thing with Midnight Suns. There's a lot of like, there's besides the the five main characters, uh, there's Zoe Laveau and there's Agatha Harkness and there's the villain. And so that's like eight characters that you have to give time, um, you know, so and you have to like advance their stories. So it was a little tricky, you know, it was, it was a little tricky, but, uh, but I, I shamelessly put in all the stuff I really wanted to, to do. Like, uh, yeah. like it's not a spoiler if you've read two, but like they end up in the dark dimension. I was like, yeah. Oh my God, I loved how Steve did go drew that back in the beginning of Dr. Strange, you know? So just the sort of progressive rock album cover look, uh, of you know it's like oh this looks like a yes album uh you know so like that was like like we're gonna have them go there and, and something like that. I, I forget and, if it was the cover yeah i forget if it was the cover of three or four but it was the one with agatha harkness on the cover of it yeah and there must have been also a bounty on it either a preview or an issue out that day and I remember tweeting out, oh my gosh, Ethan Sachs needs to be stopped. Made I get the Harkness hot. <laughs> he turned this old witch into like this young person. I'm just like, dude's gonna stop. He's just gonna he's coming after all of us. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that that I references like some major flashback stuff. Uh but yeah, it's uh it's it's awesome. Like I don't ever want to get jaded at this job. You know, it's it's a it's a gift to be able to to do this and like, you know, I'm I'm honored and also kind of as as probably weird as it sounds coming from me, but I'm kind of protective of these characters, even though I do awful things to them. But like I do awful things up to a limit. Like I don't want to damage who they are within that, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So a uh, uh, bit of the same question, different book. What's your favorite and or what's the easiest and hardest character to write? within Midnight Suns? Because here you, it's a lot more, I'd say, storied characters. So there might be a bit more of a template for some of them. Yeah, I've, I think like, honestly, Wolverine is uh, is tough to write. Like I've written him before. I wrote a, uh, a one shot that uh, was like him with Captain America. Uh, it was like a 30 pager. I just feel like because there's been so much with him over the years, uh, and it's very easy to get him just slashing things away. So like, I feel, I feel like he was a little, he can be a little tricky, especially cause like in a magic book, it's kind of glaring that, you know, he's not necessarily the first person you would think of on a magic team. Um, I think this particular, I think the character that I related most to in this particular book was Nico because, um, where she is in this in the time like the great thing about this book is it's set in current continuity right like it's it's not an l you know it's not an alternate reality it's not uh, old man hawkeye was like 45 years in the future or whatever like this is happening now and from runaways she sent her staff you know with her with her partner into space right so like she doesn't have what makes her powerful, right? So she's had to kind of on the fly sort of reinvent herself. And she sent it for a specific reason. Like a big theme in this book is like legacy, right? Like if you're the the descendant of like evil people or whatever, 
how and and the staff the source of your power has this legacy is evil legacy attached how do you become the person you want to be how do you like separate yourself from that right like it's a major theme of this book and so like she's trying to find her own way like a lot of the characters i write like trying to and i i love that about her because she's smart and she's um you know she's figuring it out as she goes i just really like her Make sure to admire the job Ben Percy does because he has to write Wolverine and X Force yeah. Wolverine in his own solo run. It's like, and he does a damn good job of it too. Yeah, I mean, there's characters that are so iconic: Darth Vader, Wolverine, you know, Batman, Doom, uh, Spider Man. Yeah, that like it. It can be, it you can fall under the weight of it if you're not, you know, it's it's a lot. Yeah, I mean, what was your reaction when when you got? the job to do this book and like okay i'm writing blade i'm writing wolverine i'm writing magic yeah there's gonna be a little doom appearance in this too it's like like i said i just i threw in a lot of stuff like i just wanted to some some characters that come in in the later issues that are like and i got to create a new villain with a connection to like pre-existing lore but it's like my own and i it's always fun you know it's funny i don't know if you can see behind me uh there's a on this side sorry there's a uh, that's a original page by paolo villanelli the first time we worked together it was a 10 page mace windu story that was in the age of republic uh special right and um i created this villain that uh i don't know if you could see is Gwitaku the grim right it's no, I, yeah i can see it skull yeah. for a mask and uh, i was so excited that was like the first character i created from star wars and it's a 10 page story. And by page eight, the characters, no, someone else kills the character, right? So it dies by page eight of this 10 page story. And I was just, my daughter was like, who's younger, but much wiser at the time. She's like, I was like, I created my own, like I created a character. I contributed a character, to the Star Wars universe. And she's like, yeah, but you killed him eight pages in. <laughs> I was like, no, you know, it was, uh, um, I, was like, I did. So I kind of feel like now I'm less prone to do that. I, you know, uh, so like. Come on, Ethan, bring out your inner Captain Scott here. Just kill off everyone. Yeah, Just I mean. Half the characters massacre them. Kevin is a savage god. I mean, he's fantastic, but he's a savage yeah. god. <laughs> Dude knows how to like evoke feelings. Like George R. R. Mark, Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. He's like, oh, I'm going to make you care about all these characters. Oh. Loden, yeah, I'm just gonna write a really emotional few chapters, and then you just kill him at the end, and then just end the story. There's no, there's no epilogue like with Light of the Jedi. Just end it. That that was hard. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, but uh, so, I love that book so much, but it is it is painful. <laughs> it was my favorite book up to this year, and then I read the I don't know if you read this book, Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel. It's a great book. It's a, I found it to be a, a literary masterpiece. Now I'm in the position to be proclaiming books literary masterpieces, but it was a damn good book. Mm, check it out. Uh, so with Midnight Suns, is there any, only two issues in, you know, we have an idea, I guess, where it might go. So any teases you want to give us for? It's, it's a tricky question because I, I really am of the belief that any inadvertent spoiler kind of kind of waters down the experience you know and as i know like you have to walk a balancing like it's it's a tight yeah. rope between publicizing the project and getting people excited about it but i'm also like can you imagine if empire strikes back debuted today and like three months before the movie comes out there's a spoiler that like oh my god darth vader is luke skywalker's dad it's just not like, I, I remember no being in the theater as a seven-year-old and when that landed every there's like you could hear the gasping you know from the audience i can still remember that i so, don't know i don't want to uh, spoil are you caught up on andor yet because i don't want to say yes. something okay that shock when andy circus came out i was like i don't know how they didn't get that leaked or spoiled in yeah, advance but tricky. that was yeah the length sometimes they go for this kind of stuff like uh back when i was doing entertainment journalism like I interviewed Damon Lindelof and uh, Carlton Cuse when they were the, the lost uh, co-showrunners and they would sometimes, they had all these tricks to leak misinformation so that, you know, like it'd be things like um, fake scripts or whatever, you know, uh, 
putting like all the stuff that they did. I can't even remember now some of the specifics, but they they did to basically throw people off the scent because there were so many spoiler sites and things like that. So yeah, I I do I do think you know I mean all I, all I can say is hopefully everything I'm literally like just handed in the script for five and it's being drawn and uh it was like a very big technical feat to get it all to sort of have that connection back to the vision and sort of uh that's in the first uh, issue and make that all like really matter but I think we did it hopefully uh so yeah I'm really it was it, there was a lot that went into that and there's some cool characters coming up like I think there's a pretty cool ending to issue three yeah, I think it's always difficult in writing miniseries because it's a bit different from writing arcs because when you write an arc, yes, there's a chance that one could unfortunately get canceled, but there's also a chance there's that end of the arc is a leapfrog for something more. When you yeah. end a miniseries, it's like, okay, that's sort of done. It, it, yeah. For some interconnected stuff, like stuff with the X-Men line and such, it's made leapfrog and other things, but Midnight Suns, I, I mean, it'd be great if it leapfrog into a Midnight Suns ongoing, but We'll just have to see about I, that. Like, I could, I mean, I could see a sequel. I don't know if they would do an ongoing. Like, it, it's it's a little tricky too because it's a it's an ensemble where the characters are all involved in. Yeah, Wolverine has so many books. Yeah, and Blade you know, now has Blade, his own you know, thing. Blade is is in the Avengers, and you know, Magic and Wolverine are they've got uh, their ex duties, and uh, so I just I don't know that it could be an ongoing. I'd love to see that, but um without sort of really messing around with the cast i don't know how you yeah. can that's fair all right so last question for you and this is a question i ask all my guests depending on what industry they're in so anyone who wants to break into the comic industry what advice would you give them i would say and it's weird coming from somebody with uh who basically kind of in some ways was able to jump on the third or fourth rung before I had to do the first one. Um, and, you know, that's, to be fair, like I worked for 20 years in a pretty, in a sort of tangentially related field that was, you know, taught me some of the skills like writing quickly and all these kind of things that later paid off. Um, but in general, the first thing that people have to do is continue to work on their craft. So I, I think it's tempting for everyone to think, oh, I have the great, the greatest Spider-Man idea that's ever been told. And I'm going to send a unsolicited letter, you know, outline or pitch to Marvel and expect them to read it and then discover me, right? Like that's an unrealistic um, dream. And then if you get to like the, the sort of, and I'm not saying this to dissuade people, but like, that's just not how the industry works. Like the editor can't look at that because there are legal reasons they can't look at that, right? Like, if they're working on something that has a very similar idea, they, you know, can put them in legal jeopardy, right? So like, it's not a realistic way of breaking into the industry. What is, is self-publishing, getting stories, you know, even if it's like online or uh, getting a story in an anthology and continuing to work. Like we fortunately live in an era where you can, you know, work with an artist, upload art, uh you know to your site or to other and then start to try to get attention for that um you know you can uh, send original works right like if you have original works to to show there are things like talent searches and there are other things so you, it's it's kind of incremental but you sort of have to work through those steps and every single uh, almost every single writer in comics has had to do that right there's been very few like i i relatively lucky and sure like you know jj abrams got to write a comic because they're jj abrams you know and so like they didn't yeah. have to do all this but that's the good thing about it too is whatever your first comic is is not going to be your best like you're going to have to learn by experience to get better and um you know i'm still learning you know i'm relatively new at this like i started in 2018 was my first big so I'm only like four years into this. I have a lot to learn. You know, there are reason like all your favorite writers are going to be people who've been doing this for a lot longer than me. You know, I mean, Charles Soule before he's like the rock star that people know now is like he put in a lot of years 
doing self like doing sort of create her own and some like smaller things that got him on Marvel's radar. And by the time he's writing Star Wars, like he's so good and like any he's learned so much that it's like, you know what I mean? And yeah. I, I feel like it's not just not getting the shortcut, it also helps you to keep writing. And I just keep think that there's so many there's so many tools that you so you can publish online and things like that that um you know it's it's I don't want to say easier, but it's a little easier than it was say 30, 40 years ago when you know yeah. previous just books, not as many books were published back then, at least that's from a you know more book writer perspective, you know. And there was no self-publishing. There was no Kickstarter. Yeah. There was none of that. No image comics either 30 or 40 years ago. I, I also have some other tips too that I think um, are important. I think um, it's important to, to like, if you want to be a writer is to write. It's like, I kind of feel like, and that is prose, comics, anything else. Like you need, you need that, um, I think I think the difference between people who write for a living and people who don't is often people who don't sometimes censor themselves. Like, oh, I have this idea, but no, this this sucks, and they throw it away. And like, you know, I don't. I think it was Stephen King like said, like, there's never a good first draft. There's never been a good first draft. Like, it, you you need to get it on paper and then work on it. Yeah, and that's easier to explore. Yeah, like there's you can't wait for it to come out perfectly. Like it, you have to keep writing and it's worth it, you know, because it's just, anyone can write. They just have to write. Yeah. I, I know that sounds ridiculous, but it is everything is getting it on the page. Even if you're vomiting it out and you hate how it's coming out, like you get it on the page and then you work with it. You then can, strip away what doesn't work you can make it but you can always make it better and at least you're you know if you're censoring your ideas before they're hitting the, like all of your ideas before they're hitting the page just you're not gonna it's not gonna happen you know i feel like it's not a, a great analogy that like the, this is not a great analogy but there's a reason why a pencil comes with an eraser it's so you can erase you can go back you can make changes and such like that just get it down write it mm -hmm. and yeah but, no, I mean, it's, it's important. And then here's the other thing. If you want to do this professionally, you have to be prepared for a long period of time to need part-time work or whatever to pay for. This is the equivalent of wanting to be an actor and getting a bartending gig while you're going to auditions. Like nobody is getting that $10 million starring role in a Marvel movie as their first gig, you know what I mean? And so, and, and there's no comic book equivalent of that anyway. Um, but the point, the point is, is I think there is this presumption of like, oh, it's this glamorous lifestyle that just automatically comes to you. And it like, you know, I mean, I'm writing multiple things at the same time to, to be able to do this, you know, and that's fine. That's, I love, love that more than, you know, what I was doing before, but like, it takes a long time to get to that stage where, you know, you can be comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we all, we live and we learn as we go on. But uh, yeah, thank you for that answer. Ethan Sachs, everyone, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank and you for asking us with the great answers. <laughs> uh, and wishing you the best of luck with future Bounty Hunter issues. Can't wait to read more of them. Thank Put them you. in my inbox yeah. on Monday afternoons. <laughs> yeah, I know it's, uh, there's, there's a lot of, uh, pain that awaits us grant me for some of the stuff coming up but we'll, we'll see where it all goes all right thank you thank you thank you for listening to episode nine of Geos reviews the interview podcast this was an interview conducted with ethan j Sachs. as always if you have any comments or any other things you'd like to say please do not feel free to reach out again thank you for listening